not every church is doing that. Not every church is even having this kind of emphasis. And so keep it up. I appreciate it very much. Jake, thanks for the invitation today. It, it means a lot to come here. Uh, by the way, I didn't know this was going to happen, but Jamie, uh, I'll be praying for you too. And, and, and how cool is it to have a prospective youth and children's person who's a drummer? I mean, really. I, I'm not sure that that's the number one criterion that they use for you, Jamie, but it's in there somewhere, I, I promise you. Today we're going to talk about the promise of power. And it is a promise. A pastor, I don't know who, once began his sermon with two questions. How many of you here are Christians? What I mean by that is not that you have joined the church, not that you have been baptized, and not that you try to live a good life, but you have repented of your sins by faith, acknowledged Jesus Christ as God's son, accepted his death on the cross as payment for your sins, and totally committed your life to him as Lord and Savior. Now, my second question is this. How many of you are missionaries? Now, be careful, because if you responded positively to the first question, but not to the second, then you perhaps ought to be embarrassed, because a Christian and a missionary are really the same thing. Now, remember, that was a pastor. As a guest speaker, I would never be so bold as to begin my message this way. Not at all. Well, I guess I just did. This morning, we are going to be dealing with a scriptural, biblical charge to those who know Christ as Savior. I want to be honest about that. If the answer to the first question I mentioned above is, I'm not sure, or, or maybe, or just a flat-out no, my prayer is that you will listen to your part this morning for the questions you may need to have answered by your pastor or other leaders, perhaps even before you leave the building. But I want to talk about a very recognizable, very significant, very well-known passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 1. You can turn there if you have your word with you. Why reference that? Well, if you know the passage, you know many of the answers. One is simply, it is the passing of the baton from our Savior, who is departing his earthly domain and, and heading to this heavenly kingdom to, to be seated at the right hand of God as, as we know. And he was talking not only to his disciples, 11 at this point, because Judas was gone, but there were many other who were gathered there. He was not only talking to them, he was talking to us as well, as what they called early in Antioch, the Christians. We are the Christians, the people who, who, are his, who hold his identity. And this message was to us as well. We are the followers of the one who had become the embodiment of the God who had created them, breathed life into them, and then through Jesus Christ called them to proclaim the very riches of his glorious new life, eternal life, proclaimed in their presence for three years, but now was to be the message they would bear to the nations. No doubt, they were going to need a, a pretty special kind of power to take his charge to the rest of the known world, that power, word power conjures up all kinds of things in our mind. And for me, just because I'm the one that chose, got to choose today, and because I love the show, I want to show you one kind of image of power here. Tim, uh, this is the proper tool. Yeah, I bet it is, Al. You know, men, we want a job done right, and we want it done quick. What do we need? More power! Done right, more power. So riding lawnmower with a jet engine off a Chinook helicopter. 
mind you put a jet engine on a lawnmower? What is that? Just a little old engine, Bob. <laughs> Gentlemen, start your engines! exactly the kind of power we're talking about today, but it does show power in the wrong hands and used in the wrong way can be dangerous, but power that's coming directly from God is, is given to us, first of all, is there constantly, is available when you say, no, I can't. It's always there. You know, many, many before have designed a message or a whole sermon series on the book of Acts in this way. The outline of Acts can be seen in this, well, pardon the pun, three acts of Acts. The first is the Savior went up, the Spirit came down, and the servants went out. Before Jesus went up, he, he told them of the one who could come alongside them, the Holy Spirit. We sometimes in our Baptist heritage, and I'm one, we have almost distance ourselves from the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about that. Something's going to happen to us if we, if we talk about the Holy Spirit, when in fact God was saying through Jesus, this is the personage of me, now that Jesus is coming home to me, that I'm going to give to you to accompany you in everything that you do in your life. So I want to focus on those first few verses in Acts to be reminded of the promise of power that is ours. So again, if you'll turn to me, turn with me to chapter 1, follow as I read these few verses first. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to God during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just not many days from now. It wasn't immediate in that case as it is now when we trust him, but it was promised. One key phrase, whoops, sorry. One key phrase in this is all that Jesus began to do and teach. Why? You see again, it was addressed to his friend Theophilus, and that's key in our understanding that the author of this gospel, the gospel of the gospel, Luke, is the same writer of this book, of course. I'm sure many of you are aware that Luke mentions the same friend as the recipient of his gospel in chapter 1, verse 3. His name simply means loved by God, and it's been the topic of much debate as to whether this was a real friend 
or Luke's way of addressing the great stories to all Christians. I'll leave it to uh, Jake to clear up that debate for you later on. Acts was the sequel to Luke's gospel. But the theme changes a bit. One commentator has said it this way, the former, the gospel of Luke, is the work of Christ which was finished on earth. The latter is the work which is continuous throughout the ages. So you might say perhaps an alternate title for instead of Acts of the Apostles could be the Acts of Jesus through his disciples. Others have said the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The point is it's the continuous work of Jesus. There's no real period on the end of that sentence, if you want to call it that, which is Acts. No matter the title, it's clear that God intended through Luke to give a clear picture of God's continuing work, even though Jesus was ascending. And he was providing the blueprint in his word and a charge to his people. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So even to these, Jesus' closest followers, he said, don't worry about when I'm coming back. The Father has that well in hand. I don't know if you recall, if you were around at the time. If you remember, my my favorite is a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 88. That didn't turn out too well for that guy, did it? So Jesus is saying, listen, don't get hung up on the when. Just recognize that it's fact and respond to the what of my commands. What what are you supposed to do? Listen to me carefully. But how will you do it? I'm going to continue to tell you right now. That brings us to the well-known verse, Acts 1.8. But before we dive into into this verse, let me just remind you of the absolute truth spoken In the passage in Matthew's gospel, we call the Great Commission. And the reason I say absolute is there are so many people doubting this right now, doubting one word in particular. You know what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it also says, what's the next word? What's the word? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, these two accounts of Jesus' last words to his disciples are most often studied and, and quoted and this one, of course, in Matthew is quoted all the time. We refer to this at, in the beginning of our history. IC was called International Crusades. Crusades, of course, at the time that it began in the early 70s was a known word, which meant we're going to have a time of revival, essentially. We're going to go somewhere and have a revival. We changed that word to International Commission, and I have always believed that was even a better word, not just because of the challenge that the word Crusades had, but because it, ref- it reflects on who we are and what we're supposed to do. In Matthew, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He was fully God, one with the Father. So when we turn over to his charge in Acts 1.8, we're already well aware, of, after having read that, that Jesus has every credential needed to say these words. Acts 1.8 Read it with me, if you would, in this version. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The words which are almost identical to what Luke said in his version, his brief reporting of, uh, uh, excuse me, Mark said, you will be my witnesses. Luke said it in his gospel. Strike the key, these strike the keynote of the whole book. That's what all of Acts is about. As I said earlier, the, say, the, the Lord came down in Jesus. And then what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were to go out. The witness that he's talking about really was twofold. It's the witness of the works, the teachings, and above all of the resurrection of Jesus. And that, too, is being altered, changed, doubted by so many who proclaim themselves to be speakers, proclaimers, pastors of the gospel. It's very clear right here that that's what this is about. And number two, the purpose of the Father is revealed in the Son. They needed that affirmation. The disciples who had even traveled with him, who had walked with him, I, you read all of the time commentators that talk about, oh, it was that moment of ding, ding, I got it. When he was crucified, when he really was resurrected as was promised in the Old Testament, and then he walked among them for 40 days. So, how many hundreds of times have you become some form of research as a student in a business or in a church with simple words like who, what, where? It's not rocket science, but that's the approach I want to take to looking at this so meaningful scripture. <clears throat> Pardon me a moment. It's the meds. But really, I'm fine. First word, of course, is who. The answer right here, I left off a little connecting word, which was in this translation, was just, yeah, but guys, forget worrying about when I'm coming back. Pay attention to this in particular. You will receive. We can stop with that first meaningful word, really, because that's the point of this gospel presentation, not just today, but Jesus' gospel presentation there. It's, it's you. I'm giving the job to you. While he was addressing, as I said, his disciples, the you applies to all of us who would follow Jesus. There's no exceptions. He didn't say, to those of you who have studied Hebrew and Greek and will occupy the pulpits of the churches that we're going to bring up all over the world, that's the ones that I'm calling. Nor did he point out just a few of the boldest. You don't see anywhere where it says, all right, let's see here. Who can we use? We'll just use Peter, Philip. And oh yeah, uh, those two sons of thunder guys, we'll, we'll use them, that would be enough. No, he didn't say that at all. He said it to all of them, nor did he say, you will be my witnesses when it feels good or when you can squeeze it into your schedule as a fisherman, a tent maker, or tax man, or whatever God, God has called you to do. Because of that second word of the phrase, we can go there. You will receive power. That was and still is his promise. There's no conditions, no trial period, no seminary degree required. Jesus says you will receive everything needed for the task ahead if you are, in fact, his disciple. If you know him as Lord and Savior. And I just gave away the answer to the next question. That question is what? Jesus says you will receive what? Power. Power. 
He didn't didn't make any exceptions, as I said. You're going to get power. It's there. I promise this to you. Don't look back and think, what's going to happen? Remember when? Yeah, the better remember when is remember when Jesus really did come into your life and save you and recognize that in that process, the, the Holy Spirit was coming alongside and it was through the Holy Spirit and still is that we receive the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, he was not calling out his disciples, as I said, and saying, if you can find the strength to do this job somewhere, please do it. He said, you're going to be infused with everything needed to reach everyone, beginning right in your own neighborhood to those in, as this version says, the remotest parts of the earth. I know many of you have heard this before. You've studied this before. This Greek word, dunamis, is the basis for many other words in our language, like dynamite, dynamic. means exactly what it says. It's power. The word is used 120 times just in the New Testament with various associated meanings. Sometimes it means mighty, miraculous, ability, strength, or, of course, what we're saying, power. Power through God's ability, through what God can do, is needed in every phase of life. But what was Jesus saying to them? He was saying this business of sharing my story, of bringing people into the fold of his followers, was not a job for weaklings. Why did they need power? He knew it was going to be challenging. Actually, as you, as you know, it didn't end too well for all but one of the apostles, and that was John, and even... Even John was exiled to an island. We're not exactly sure how he died, but probably there. But still, they were given God's strength, God's power to carry on his work. And because of the resurrection of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, as I said, we still have that power. Don't mistake power for things that we can do. One New Year's Day in the Tournament of Roses Parade in Pasadena, California, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas. The whole parade was held up until someone could get a can of gas. And so what's the punchline here? Well, this was the float represented by Standard Oil Company. <laughs> With its vast resources, they forgot to bring a can of gas. You know, you, you don't go to tell people about Jesus and his life-giving message with, without having what you do here without having what you do in studying his word, without having the fellowship of Christians and recognizing his power. It's available because he said so. What is required? Again, I keep repeating it, just to call on him as Lord and Savior and confess your sins and receive him. And then you get his power. That was the reason for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, has been confused by so many It's not about doing something. It's about receiving the person of God through the Holy Spirit and his presence and what he does as you go when you say, I'm not sure I can do this. That's correct. You can't. I had a lady many, many years ago that we had two parts of a team, one coming from California, one in the Texas area. We met at Newark Airport. I didn't know her because she came from California. She walked up to me. And said, hi, my name is Charming Lady. This is Jim. And I want you to know I don't do this. Oh, good. What she meant was, 
And she said it. He loves to do this. He travels. I go with him. Good. Probably, oh, less than an hour into the time that we had that afternoon, there in the city, just kind of seeing things in Jirokaster, an old city in the southern part of Albania that had been, of course, run over by every, every group of people in the world, but was still there, but at that time was just coming out of being the most atheistic nation on the planet. You see, that church, that ministry was to build churches. They were there as church planters. But because there had been so little gospel, literally no gospel, she within an hour, was grabbing her translator and saying, let, let, there's people over there, let's go talk to them. Grabbing her again, there's people over there, let's go talk to them. This is the lady who told me in the airport in Newark, I don't do this. What happened? The Holy Spirit came in her life and said in that moment, yes, you do. This may be the only Jesus, if you remember that Gordon Jensen song a long time, the only Jesus some will ever see. Why do we do that there and we don't do it here. We'll talk about the here in just a few moments. Keep that in mind. Third important message here is wrapped up in just this one word question. Where? What did he mean? You see that illustration of what he meant. Kind of the pond, the pebble being dropped into the water and just spreading out all over everywhere. What did he mean? He meant Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He didn't take it back. He didn't say, well, actually, I didn't mean that Jerusalem thing. It's kind of nasty here in this town. The Romans are, have overrun it. I really didn't mean that. So ignore where you are. And because it's going to be difficult, I realize, for you to travel, just forget about Judea. Just forget about the region around us. Now, you can go to Samaria. <gasps> Samaria? We can't go there. You remember why? That was like going to the hated enemy to those people gathered there. But he said, go there. And then he said again to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus meant everywhere. You know, it, we, we don't really know all of exactly where they went. But the rest of Acts is like pulling back the curtain pulling back the curtain on the first efforts to do exactly what Jesus had commanded them to do. And that was just the beginning. As I said, there's really no period at the end of the book of Acts because it's continuing still now. Some of you, many of you know that this is what we use. It's a process called Operation Andrew. I'm glad to say, always glad to say, we didn't come up with this. We did come up with the seven steps that we use along with it. There's some in the table in the back, and there's some little cards, which, of course, I didn't walk up here with and meant to, that are about Operation Andrew, and it's about writing down names of people with, that you're going to pray for and you would like for someone to go and share the gospel with you. That's what we do everywhere. Where we stop with what the Billy Graham Crusades folks do, we don't preach in stadiums. Our preaching, proclaiming the gospel is in homes. It's set up. It's done for you. It's not hard. Why is it not hard? Because if you have believed in Jesus, in fact, we had a, a vice president of mobilization one time when somebody asked him, What's quali what, what are the qualifications to go with you? He said, well, let's see. If you know Jesus, 
If you can quote John 3.16 and you tell your story, you're qualified. Now, that may be watering it down a little too much, but it's really actually true. This helps us understand that it's a way of life as well. Because throughout the year, and you can do it right here in your own community, and you have, and I'll mention that in a moment, it should be a way of life approach because it can happen each and every day. What is it? Again, it's writing down names of people on a little card and praying for them, and then with a plan in place, go and visit with them. For 49-plus years, International Commission has been reaching out to the ends of the earth with this. When Billy Graham was doing his crusades, he said, the three stages of every crusade are pray, pray, pray. That's the foundation of who we are. We are nothing apart from the prayers of God's people, apart from praying ourselves, which we gather to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because of Zoom, because of all of that, we can have everybody, many people around the world with us, and I would encourage you to do that. Why? Because we are ambassadors to the world, and in order to do the best that we possibly can, Sunday is sadly NFL day. If they walk out there and they have done absolutely nothing to work on their body, to work on their plays, to work on all of those things, they're in big trouble. Well, trust me, it's not that hard to be a player, to be an ambassador in what God would have you to do. It, it amounts to, again, saying yes to Jesus, having a testimony, and having people pray for you and with you. At this point, and in many of my presentations, and again, they're out there on the table, I will say, all right, write down those people. I want to give you time to do that later. I hope you will, if you're not already, perhaps make this your own life way of, of reaching out to people. For 49 years, International Commission has been equipping and enabling believers worldwide to reach unbelievers and make disciples. Sending short-term teams from the United States to partner with churches overseas in personal evangelism and supporting local churches around the world as they reach their communities and nations with the gospel.
Now, after celebrating millions of salvations around the globe, we have brought our successful ministry model and resources back home. Offering evangelism tools and training to individuals and churches in the United States and organizing short-term partnership projects within North America. Whether across the sea or across the street, we are taking the light of the world into dark places. We invite you to hold the rope for us as we take the message of hope to the hopeless and see lives changed from, from darkness, darkness to light. The gentleman that you saw in there earlier, the older gentleman, is our founder, Ben Meath. Thankfully, he's still with us. We started with one project in 1972 to Mexico because he had gone on a project to Japan and, and God said, Ben, you can do in Mexico what you've seen done in Japan. It was similar but not the same. From that one project in, in Mexico to then going on down through Central America, through South America and literally around the world. This is not pride, folks, that's causing me to say this. This is celebrating what God has done. Now in 185 nations, only 31 remaining of what we call nations, sometimes that's large territories of another nation. <laughs> he has some of those, Guy has some of those in, in what he is, where he is working in Oceania. You know, many of our partnership evangelism efforts have been mind-boggling with the number of participants from both the U.S. and hosts and other nations joining in. That was the case just recently in Paraguay where over 200 participants came from all over South America to join the U.S. team to see God move in the hearts of over 6,000 people. There's people who doubt that. It's not because we're so great or we are so large. It's because God has allowed us to reach people who go, yeah, I can do that. I can do that in my neighborhood. I can help you. And they are. But absolutely no less miraculous was the amazing opportunity that Guy and some of you even had to see what I believe is a growing opportunity to share the gospel in Western Europe. It's coupled with an urgency on the part of Christians finally to do that. I've been there many times. In fact, uh, Western Europe was kind of my heart place for ministry. You heard what Jake said. Even though Hungary is, at the time was considered Eastern Europe, they don't consider themselves that anymore. And the problem with Europe has been just like the problem here. So many people saying, ah, we've done God. We've done church. We don't need it. Now there's a whole generation that doesn't even have that testimony. They don't know anything about Jesus, anything about a church. And so this was evidence of what God can do in that place. This is exactly what happened as they went and shared his love 1,269 heard the gospel, 282 made decisions for Christ, and 35 were baptized. That's been a long time since we've seen that in Western Europe. Likewise, on the other side of the globe, some of you were with Guy in this nation, which is so rich in beauty and so destitute in spiritual form foundation. It's true that Islam and, and other religions have had a stronghold in many of these South Asia nations for centuries. But courageous pastors and committed Christians waited over two years during the pandemic, as many did in, around the world. And our team under Guy's leadership went there as well, and 2,366 heard the gospel, 842 made decisions for Christ, 37 were baptized, and I understand there were also 11 churches that were planted. God is working. Why? Because people believe this passage of Scripture, this verse that says you will 
receive what? Power. Again, power is, is so misconstrued so often. It's not the power to run somebody else. It's not the power to run a nation. It's not the power to do something that would be over them, whatever you want to say. It's the power that comes from within that says, I can do this. Even though I don't think I can, I can do this. Thank you, God, that you are continuing to give us that power. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, as, I've, as we've begun a process here in North America, it's been very interesting to see how it has played out. I didn't put this, this in my presentation in, up here today. I, I might have because I was just caused to think about it as I think about all the various and sundry churches where we've gone. One church that I visited in their first project, it was really like what we do, a team coming to an, to an area going with them into their homes and sharing the gospel. I don't know how many of you have ever been a rural church that has the little board that has their attendance and how much the offering was and all of that. Yeah, there's a place here in Texas called Sulphur Springs, but this was in Sulphur Springs, Missouri, little bitty tiny church. Had that board up there, and I looked at it, and it said, attendance last Sunday, 9, offering 250, attendance the week before, 5, offering 25. In just a few visits on Friday evening and a couple of visits on Saturday morning, that church who had nine the week before saw 14 people pray to receive Christ right there in their community. That's not a bad average for that size of church. That was one of my questions to God sitting in my office at the beginning of COVID was, God, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Doing what you do. You've done pretty well, I see, with Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. How about Jerusalem and Judea? Another, word, another one was, God, what are we supposed to learn? And he said, well, you, why don't you share what you already know and what God is teaching you now? And we, we do and we have. In gospel conversation tools, we're beginning to share training in churches all over to encourage them to learn how to have those conversations one-on-one -on -one you know, I, I don't know where you are in that. I don't know how you share the gospel with someone, but if you want to look through some of these, you see the resources there. This is absolutely not a commercial because there's no commitment, there's no cost, there's no nothing. We're not asking you, signing you up, if you go find those to, to go on a project, although we'd love for you to. Those are there to learn more about how to share the gospel right here in your Jerusalem. You know, we're all supposed to do that. Here's some people much wiser, smarter than I that have had these thoughts. A.W. Tozer once said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Theodore Williams of India said this, We face a humanity that is too precious to neglect, we know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ too glorious to hide. We have an adventure that is too thrilling to miss. Earlier during the worship, Andrew led us all to sing, Who are we that he would save us? But the second line was, Who are we that he would send us? 
As I said earlier, it does, it's not about being a scholar. It's not about having the, the latest Christian card, club card. It's about being saved. He saved us to send us. Way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah helped us look forward to so many things. The birth of Christ. What was going to happen in all of that. And, and yet he himself paused for a moment and said, I need to be with God myself if I'm going to proclaim his grace, proclaim his glory, proclaim who he is. So if you look in chapter 6 of Isaiah, it's his encounter in worship, Andrew, and all of you, with God. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. But he didn't just see God and worship him, say, all right, I'm done. I'm going home. He listened to the next part where God said, who shall I send? What was Isaiah's response? It's pretty simple. Here am I. Send me. He didn't say, let me wait and see if I can hang around. Remember, God, I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to tell all the stuff about you and, and all of that. Not, not go and tell someone. He said, here am I. Send me. And that, Isaiah was responding to the call to share so we could look ahead as we read those words. It's not the great suggestion, the great commission. And his commission is, and his commandment in Acts 1.8 was to each one of us to go. Several of you in this room have seen this little short video clip, but it's a favorite of mine. This happened several years ago in China. After meeting you guys, International Commission, um, our thoughts is especially my thoughts was totally changed. I was very uh, inspired from the, your passion to love God and the passion to share Jesus to people who don't know the Jesus. I am a university school student. Uh, in my school, there are a lot of non-Christians. I didn't try to share Jesus because um, I thought and someday someone help, will help them to know Jesus. After meeting you guys, the someone is me. You know, if, if I hadn't told you that that was in China, you might have believed that was perhaps anywhere in the United States. That conversation happens all the time. That thought happens all the time. So my question is, you will, or you have, received power. Now, where will you go? Jake. Amen. Thank you, Brent. I, I want to ask a rhetorical question, and, and I, would, I would just encourage you to take this moment to just be still and think about this question. You don't have to answer it out loud. But how many of you would say, when I saw the bulletin and it said Acts 1, 1 through 8, or when, when Jake introduced the speaker as the leader of a missions organization, or when I found out last week that uh, Brent Edwards, the president of International Commission, which goes out and does evangelism throughout the world, uh, was coming to speak, before he even opened his mouth, I felt a twinge in my heart hey there's somebody on my street that I committed to pray for but I haven't been doing that 
there is a burden that I have at work uh, for my coworkers that that I really haven't I haven't taken the initiative to share Christ with the people that I work with or uh, there's a missionary that God's laid on my heart that I need to start supporting financially, and I just have made excuse after excuse. And before we even open up the Word of God, uh, you you felt that twinge in your heart. And I, I just want to make a suggestion to you that that may be the Holy Spirit of God impressing upon your heart that there's a step of obedience that you need to take today. And, of course, many of you, while, while we uh, examined that first chapter of Acts and while Brent was preaching, perhaps the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on you as well for something specific. And so I, I would just encourage us right now, instead of thinking about the next thing and, and talking to our neighbor, packing up our stuff, going to get the kids, that we would just take a pause and, and just take a moment while we sing together, do business with the Lord about that one specific thing that he's convicting you about that one specific person, that one step that he's convicting you to take. And, and would you commit that to the Lord right now?